tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Hello, everyone. In today's episode of our podcast, I wanted to share a creative inspiration originally published in 1891. It's a collection of essays from Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. This medical essays included homeopathy, currents in medical science, and borderlines of knowledge. It was originally published by the Boston Society for the Diffusion of Useful Knowledge between 1842 and 1882, and then finally published as a collection of essays in 1891. Now, I published this as a part of a series called Innovation Classics, and this edition of this series is dedicated to collecting and publishing the best and perhaps underappreciated innovation writings of the past. So in today's episode, I'll share some readings from my introduction of the book and from the author's introduction of the book, Medical Essays by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr., with my introduction and commentary. Designed to engage your imagination, this collection brings together some of the premier publications across generations. Along the way, we'll feature subjects ranging from vegetarian diets to alcohol addiction. And we'll share seminal books like this volume. This collection of essays is by a man who defines the persona of a poet doctor. Whether Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was more of a poet than a doctor remains debatable. He wrote poetry, prose, criticism, history, and memoirs from 1830 until his death. His medical practice was largely confined to the training of doctors, although several of his medical research projects were path-breaking contributions to modern epidemiology. A Harvard graduate, where he was the class poet in 1829, he first trained to be a medical doctor in Boston. He then went to Paris for advanced medical training and came home an ardent disciple of Pierre Charles Alexander Louis, leader of the French school that derived its eminence from expert auscultation and careful correlation of bedside findings. Holmes soon became distinguished for his articles written on such medical issues as treatment for malaria. Though his passion for writing verse was expressed in his poems of 1836. Two years later, Dartmouth College appointed him professor of anatomy, but he moved to Harvard to teach and rose to the position of dean at the Harvard Medical School. Holmes was a vocal critic of homeopathy, his major argument centering on its failure to use the scientific method. In 1842 essays featured in this collection, Homeopathy and its Kindred Delusions, Holmes demonstrated the futility and danger of some existing medical treatments. Recently, in a review of the role of complementary and alternative medicine, Dr. Arthur Goldman wrote, In the 19th century, Oliver Wendell Holmes and Sir William Osler were leading voices for academic medicine. Holmes, dean of Harvard Medical School and an outspoken critic of homeopathic medicine, argued eloquently against the use of ineffective treatments. It always does very great harm to the community, he said, to encourage ignorance 
error, and deception in a profession which deals with the life and health of our fellow creatures. Holmes also expressed skepticism about the effectiveness of most drugs of his day, declaring, if the whole materia medica, as now used, could be sunk to the bottom of the sea, it would be all the better for mankind, the worse for the fishes. He recommended quinine for malaria, mercury for syphilis, digitalis for heart disease, colchicine for gout, iodine for goiter, and ipecac for dysentery. Osler added opium and iron to his short list of effective therapeutic agents and publicly criticized the irrational practice of polypharmacy, which he described as the use of a large number of drugs of the action of which is we know little, yet we put them into bodies the action of which we know less. This conflict between the scientific method and the physician's personal judgment persists even in modern medicine today. In a recent article published in the Journal of Health, Politics, and Law, Cynthia Merlo of the University of Texas Health Science Center and Kathleen Lohr of the University of North Carolina School of Public Health wrote, When judging the benefits and harms of health care and predicting patient prognosis, clinicians, researchers, and others must consider many types of evidence. Medical research evidence is part of the required knowledge base and practitioners of evidence-based medicine must attempt to integrate the best available clinical evidence from systematic research with health professionals' expertise and patients' rights to be informed about diagnostic and therapeutic options available to them. Judging what constitutes sound evidence can be difficult because of, among other things, the sheer quantity, diversity, and complexity of medical evidence available today. The various scientific methods that have been advanced for assembling, evaluating, and interpreting such information and the guides for applying medical research evidence to individual patients' situations. Interpreting and judging medical research involves subjective, not solely explicit, processes. These developments in evidence-based medicine are an aid, but not a panacea, for definitively establishing benefits and harms of medical care, and the contributions that medical research evidence can make in any clinical or legal situation must be understood in the context in which judgment and values, understanding of probability, and the tolerance for uncertainty all play a role. Another Oliver Wendell Holmes writings elicited an uproar of criticism. In 1843, the contagiousness of purpural fever suggested that physicians themselves could be carriers of disease, though it largely escaped notice when published as an article in a Boston medical journal. It commanded a great deal of attention when it reappeared as a book several years later on the occasion of an attack on Holmes by two famous professors of obstetrics who denied his theory of contagion. Republished with a new and powerfully written introduction, it became a center of controversy on both sides of the Atlantic. Holmes stood his ground against critics, and the essay had a major impact. By the 1860s, Holmes would remark that the professor at the breakfast table, both American and British physicians, had come to understand that a physician or midwife who assisted at purpural fever case must cease obstetric practice until the threat of contagion was passed. In New England, 
where Holmes's arguments had their earliest and most pronounced influence, the death rate from this fever dropped dramatically. A man of contrast and contradictions, Holmes lived his life between the poetic and the realistic. He is a bundle of contradictions, an old-fashioned modern, a primitive scientist, a Protestant sympathetic to Roman Catholicism, a gossipy man. In short, he was the poet-doctor of 19th century America. He is largely and somewhat inaccurately remembered today as a consummate aristocrat who opposed women's rights and often believed blacks to be physiologically inferior. He also supported the admission of women to Harvard Medical School and believed that African Americans were victims of history. This celebrated poet-doctor published many essays and journal articles on travel, epidemiology, psychiatry, psychology, and literature, and hundreds of short stories, both humorous and critical. Along with his good friend James Russell Lowell, he was one of the founding editors of the journal Atlantic Monthly in 1857. Holmes married Amelia Lee Jackson, the daughter of Supreme Court Justice Charles Jackson, and together they would have three children. His son and namesake, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., fought in the Civil War, after which his father wrote My Hunt After the Captain, published in the Atlantic Monthly in 1862. Accusing his father of being a dilettante and using his ordeal for literary gain, their relationship suffered much animosity. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., of course, would go on to become known as the Great Dissenter after being appointed Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in 1902 by President Theodore Roosevelt. And now, the preface from the author of Medical Essays, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. The character of the opposition, which some of these papers have met with, suggests the inference that they contain really important but unwelcome truths. Negatives multiplied into each other change their sign and become positives. Hostile criticisms meeting together are often equivalent to praise, and the square of fault-finding turns out to be the same thing as eulogy. But a writer has rarely had so many enemies as it pleases him to believe. Self-love leads us to overrate the numbers of our negative constituency. The larger portion of my limited circle of readers must be quite indifferent to, if not ignorant of, the adverse opinions which have been expressed or recorded concerning any of these addresses or essays now submitted to their own judgment. It is proper, however, to inform them that some of the positions maintained in these pages have been unsparingly attacked, with various degrees of ability, scholarship, and good breeding. The tone of criticism naturally changes with local conditions in different parts of a country extended like our own, so that it is one of the most convenient gauges of the partial movements in the direction of civilization. It is satisfactory to add that the views assailed have been so unflinchingly defended by unsought champions, among the ablest of whom is the pleasant to mention at this moment of political alienation, the editor of the Charleston Medical Journal. Currents and Countercurrents was written and delivered as an oration, a florid rhetorical composition expressly intended to secure the attention of an audience 
not easy to hold as listeners. It succeeded in doing this and also in being curiously misunderstood and misrepresented as if it had been a political harangue. This gave it more local notoriety than it might otherwise have attained, so that, as I learned, one ingenious person made use of its title in an advertisement to a production of his own. It might be fitting to add a few words with regard to the essay on contagiousness of pupural fever, but the whole question I consider now to be transferred from the domain of medical inquiry to the consideration of life insurance agents and grand juries. For the justification of this somewhat sharply accented language, I must refer the reader to the paper itself for details which I regret to have been forced to place on permanent record. Signed, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr., Boston, January 1861. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Come back for our next episode and we'll continue our around-the-world journeys to inspire new ideas, show you how to organize those ideas, and how to gain the confidence and the connections to get your work launched out into the world. Until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. Bye for now. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.